Hello and welcome to Power Problems, a podcast from the Cato Institute, where we offer a skeptical take on U.S. foreign policy and discuss some of today's big questions in international security with guests from across the political spectrum. I'm Trevor Thrall. And I'm Emma Ashford. Pleased to be back from maternity leave. Great to have you back, Emma. From many perspectives, Trump's foreign policy has left a lot to be desired. Uh, Though foreign policy rarely makes or breaks a presidential election, I think Democrats have to be feeling like it will play to their advantage in 2020. The bigger question we tackle today, though, is where exactly does the left want to take things after Trump? What is the future of progressive foreign policy? Joining us today is one of the leading young voices uh, among the progressive foreign policy crowd. Adam Mount is a senior fellow and director of the Defense Posture Project at the Federation of American Scientists. I should also note, if you're listening to this, um, this podcast will drop on um, January 28th, the same day that Adam will be joining me and a panel of other great people to debate the very same question, the future of progressive foreign policy. So if you missed the live event, please uh, know that you can always stream it online at Cato.org. Adam, welcome to Power Problems. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. All right. Let's let's jump right into it. And Adam, you know, we here at Power Problems talk a lot about what we don't like about uh, current American foreign policy. But from the progressive view, what would you say are the things that are wrong with U.S. foreign policy? What needs fixing? Where do you start? Uh, so uh, progressives are, uh, are a distinct position on the political left. The political left, I think, uh, Demo- the Trump Democratic Party in general has a broader line of attack against the Trump administration on foreign policy. Um, I think we need to get over the idea that foreign policy is not important to elections. Um, The Trump administration has portrayed it as one of their major selling points. These are, uh, I think the president personally thinks that many of his major accomplishments are foreign policy accomplishments. And the Democratic Party, I think, can say very fairly and safely and forcefully that this administration is just bad at foreign policy. By their own objectives, they've got the wrong objectives, et cetera. But, but progressives in particular should have their own specific critique, I'd say. Right. So so help us out for those of us who don't know the difference between a progressive and a regular old liberal. What makes progressive foreign... What are progressive foreign policy principles? I mean, what would you say you know, are the motivating kind of concepts behind a progressive take on foreign policy? Great. I- I think the first thing to recognize is that progressives have not gone gotten very far at describing their vision for the world, uh, the principles that motivate that vision, and the set of tools, um, the sort of instrumental bargains uh, about how to enact that vision in the world. Uh, we still think of we still hear a lot of people express progressive foreign policy as a sled of slogans or just a pile of priorities. You know, um, they care about multilateralism versus unilateralism. They care about um, climate change a lot. You know, you sort of hear a handful of slogans. I think what it means to be a progressive uh, domestically is to believe that structural change of the country is necessary to ensure that uh, the country serves the interests of the underprivileged. Uh, and what a progressive believes in foreign policy is that the United States acting abroad should be dedicated to the interests of foreign citizens as they themselves understand them. So in in both circumstances, progressives are, it's a moral commitment to the welfare and the interests of individuals as opposed to companies, corporations, um, bottom lines. Uh, And that's, and progressives really need to articulate those principles clearly and then work forward from them to develop a, a coherent foreign policy theory and message 
um, rather than just sort of um, scattershot picking various critiques and um, ideas. So it's interesting because that sounds like you're sort of defining this very much as, a, as an internationalist approach to foreign policy. So this isn't just about American citizens. This is about sort of global citizens, right? This is about people all over the world and some sort of more common um, approach to foreign policy. Um, and that really sort of stands in contrast to the Trump administration, which I guess has just taken a very nationalist approach to foreign policy. But it also stands in contrast to some of the more classic leftist foreign policy principles, which were about sort of clamping down on free trade, um, you know, to try and set up sort of more protectionist foreign policy. Do you do you see that opposition or is that something you think is sort of more reconcilable? Yeah. Emma, I'm so glad to have you back in the public sphere. It's just such a always a privilege to work with you here. So um it, it's it's genuinely we're delighted to have you back. Um, we missed you. Um yeah, I think that's right. Notice I'm I'm giving a very specific and and personal definition of what it means to be a progressive. Uh, I think it does not mean that you've got to be a cosmopolitan. Um, so there are progressives that want to be thoroughgoing internationalists who believe in universal standards of human rights, um, uh, sort of international institutions that can act for the um, good of citizens everywhere, um, that believe in our alliance commitments, that believe that we can even do some good uh, in, in terms of our trading commitments by, for example, attaching... Um, human rights or climate riders on trade agreements. There's an uh, uh, an alternative form of progressivism that is much more skeptical about America's ability to influence the world for the better. And so they believe that self-determination, sovereignty are relevant moral uh, priorities that deserve our respect and that one of the best things that America can do uh, for citizens of other countries is to recognize that many times we can't help and to uh, take a step back, be more restrained with respect to um, use of force issues, alliance commitments, dictating to other countries how they ought to behave. But what it means to be a progressive is that you're doing it because it's it's you're trying to serve as a force for good in the world to promote the interests of foreign citizens as they themselves understand them, not in terms of your own parochial theory of um, how other countries ought to behave. So it sounds like a classic debate in in your IR grad overview seminar between idealism and, and realism. So the idealist progressives think that we can and we should and can go out in the world and make a difference, and the realist progressives think we should but can't. Um, uh, so so that's kind of an interesting twist because that you know a, a realist argument would would in this case simply be an empirical one, which is not. It's it's right to believe that you should help, but it's also right to understand empirically that you cannot. Yeah, I, I love that you've brought it up. I, I think all progressivism defend, depend, descends from uh, idealist international relations theory. Um, so realism got translated into realism. Liberal theory got translated into liberal internationalism, um, and partly, you know, some strands of neoconservatism. Um, Nobody ever developed a foreign policy analog for idealism. I think that was always progressivism. So the progressivism of uh, Jane Addams, Emily Green Balch, um, in the years prior to uh, World War I, were focused on intercultural understanding, um, a dedication to um, e equality and um, sort of you know international harmony. Uh, it had a very strong pacifist element. Uh, I, I still think that 
progressives would like to be idealists. Uh, I think that's sort of who we are at, at heart, that we're interested in, in building a safer world, a better world. Um, I think what has happened is that many progressives are deeply frustrated because they believe that the American state has been stripped down to the rafters, that it's been dismantled so thoroughly that now we're having to defend what are traditionally conservative priorities, things like environmental conservation, anti-fascism, um, uh, fiscal sustainability, right? Th these are sort of traditional conservative priorities, but I think Democrats um, and progressive Democrats now recognize that it takes major structural change in order to enact these priorities, that to defend the ability of the state to make rational decisions at all, it now takes these radical things to protect us against foreign intrusion, sovereignty, climate change, catastrophic climate change. And so we're not just trying to make a, a better world at this point. We're just trying to have a country at all, not a more perfect state, just any kind of state at all. And it's kind of terrifying in that regard. What I find kind of fascinating about this is, um, so we're obviously sitting here in a libertarian think tank, right? And libertarians and progressives disagree on pretty much everything domestically, although some of the priorities you just line, uh, just outlined, we actually, you know, people could get behind. Um, but on foreign policy, you know, you see a very similar split, right? Libertarians, for the most part, are, are idealists. You know, they want to typically see a better world, um, but are very skeptical about the ability of the U.S. government to actually achieve that overseas. So there's some real commonalities there in how they approach the world. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, when I was pushing on the idealist realist sort of a split, I think that's one of the things where I often come down is, uh, you know, especially take humanitarian intervention issues, you know, on, on balance, would I prefer to be able to help people who are being slaughtered by their own governments? Sure, I would. Do I think we can? Often I do not. Um, and so that I think is an interesting and really important difference between, I think, a lot of restrainer takes on international issues as opposed to progressive takes, which, you know, many progressive haven't seen a humanitarian intervention they don't want to do because they either think they just have to, no matter if they can't do it, or they think they can, whichever. So Yeah, yeah. Humanitarian intervention is probably where this this division in progressive foreign policy thought is clearest. Um, you know, a, what I call a liberal progressive will be um, dedicated to the belief that if we can help, we have a duty to assist, a moral obligation, and when and where we can be effective, we should. They will tend to be cautious about our ability to affect the world for the better. They'll tend to be um, skeptical of our ability to remake states in a predictable way, but they will sort of recognize a duty to assist. What I call a solidarist progressive that cares about acting in solidarity with um, with egalitarian political movements abroad and is more skeptical of what they would see as a hegemonic sort of theory about universal human rights that's dismissive of local cultures, um, will be skeptical of any kind of transnational uh, right or obligation the United States has to intervene in these kinds of conflicts. And so we'll be much more um, cautious about the use of force, especially when it is um, when local populations are victimized or threatened by sovereign entities, so by states. If it's a matter of um, disaster relief or invasion from another country, for example, in the, in the Balkans in the 90s, 
they might be a little more uh, permissive or um, you know willing to countenance intervention in that regard. Sure. So let's imagine a progressive president takes over the White House in 2021. What are the two or three biggest foreign policy challenges that president needs to tackle sort of right away? Well, you've seen progressives, uh, progressive presidential candidates be very clear about this, that they want to lead an international effort on climate change. Um, well, I, let me start by saying, the, I think the first thing to recognize is that progressivism in, in foreign policy is still in its infancy. Progressives are still trying to get their head around principles that they're interested in it's pursuing. probably not a good marketing campaign for Bernie or Elizabeth during 2020. I don't have this figured out yet, but but I'll do a good job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I think they have many things to figure it out, um, but there, we still have a long way to go on on progressivism. Um, and, and so climate change would be a major priority, but there's this question about how do we overcome the, the standard challenges in climate change? Other countries are resistant. Um, the American domestic polity is resistant um, to major sort of restrictions. That's something that it takes a great deal of detailed political time, attention, effort to try to um, develop a strategy to overcome. Um, cutting defense spending is another, I think, hallmark of uh, progressive policy. Again, there's this very difficult challenge of how do you responsibly make major cuts to defense spending while preserving um, some kind of commitments to democratic allies who are threatened by authoritarian neighbors? Different progressives will have different concepts about how to move forward on this, but really they can't avoid the um, very detailed, very complex, very challenging issues that are involved in defense strategy, defense budgeting, defense personnel appointments. You know, progressives will tend to want to wave their hands at defense issues. This isn't what I'm interested in. It's all wrong. It's all immoral. That's not a way to make change. It's just not going to work like that. Th then the last issue is this. I'd say, is this personnel issue? It's absolutely critical. There aren't many progressives around, but you've got to staff an administration with people that share your priorities or you're not going to get anything done. And so progressives want to be inclusive. Um, they want to be uh, tolerant of diversity, a diversity of opinions and views. But if a president, a president is never going to get the kind of reforms that they, that a progressive would want enacted if they don't have a a cabinet that is unified behind them, and, and not just a cabinet, but down to assistant secretaries and deputy assistant secretaries of defense. Um, hard to make those staffing decisions in practice. It's funny that that's the the problem the Trump administration has faced exactly, um, as from well. The other side. Yeah, that they um, they well in part because they're not willing to take people that have criticized the president, which I doubt would be an issue in a in a future administration, but just that there is not a pool of talent available for them to draw on. Yeah, so it seems to me that. If when you talk to progressives, the easiest first issue that rolls right off the tongue, as it did in your case, is climate change. It, that's an easy one to pick. That's a ball that's been dropped from the progressive perspective for so long and so hard and so long that it really needs to get picked up immediately. But but uh, both the Sanders campaign and, and the Warren campaign have talked about a couple of other big things that I, I'd be interested on your take on how widely they're shared among progressives and and maybe the left more broadly. Uh, global inequality. Uh, on the one hand, and um, and also uh, any corruption, any fascism, any fascism, right? So those, uh, where do those rank for you in terms of things that the next progressive or even a, just a democratic president hopefully will take a stronger whack at? So many more. How, if you're interested in multilateral action, how do you reform the United Nations to make it into an effective 
agent of good in the world um, rather than this sort of overbuilt, unwieldy, um, quasi-corrupt organization. You know, it, th the priorities are myriad. Ranking them, it, again, that's work that hasn't really been started so far. Um, you know, the, the campaigns, I think, have made a lot of progress in putting um, some very progressive principles on the table uh, and then a series of a handful of very specific plans uh, that are helpful. But in terms of sort of seeing the whole board and setting priorities for a new administration, that's work that still remains to be done, I think. Um, yeah, it, it does rather seem so. You you named the sort of your top priorities there, but I noticed that sort of Russia and China just didn't appear on that list at all. It seems a little like the things that are most talked about in the campaign, perhaps the things that resonate most with the public that are the easiest to talk about in a campaign setting. Those are the things that um, progressives don't really actually have a priority. Russia and China's a tough one. So this is uh, progressives are not disinterested in in the issue. Um, if a progressive's um, trying to defend the interests of foreign free citizens against um, international aggression and tyranny, they should have they should be interested in defense strategy uh, and broader diplomatic strategy to try to resist those um, incursions, intrusions, ag aggressions, um, attempts to obligate free societies. Um, that having been said, a progressive should resist the framework of great power competition, which has just been come, become so hegemonic, so simplistic. Um, often it kind of devolves into, if we've done something that will offend the Chinese or the Russians, if we've done something that um, will piss them off, it, it's therefore progress. And I think that's just deeply simplistic. Um, progressives have not articulated an alternative sort of coherent strategy to uh, approach those challenges, which are very real, they can't ignore, um, and they've got to put forward a, an alternative framework. I, I don't think it should be very difficult to develop a better one, but um, it's work that has to be done. Yeah. So I I think you know the China one is interesting to me from the campaign perspective. I think it's you know Emma interesting point you make. I mean the things that Democratic candidates are going to talk about during the primaries is going to be different than what they're going to probably have to talk about later this year when the general election rolls yeah. around and you have right. to sort of swing back to issues that everybody cares about. But um, China is definitely not not something that they're going to be able to run away from. So the candidate the candidates are going to have to have a coherent message. You know, at some point on China, I think what I've seen that's interesting to me is there's neither a, a, a strong grasp on are we partners or adversaries. That's one of the things that they're sort of dancing around. And the second, in particular, is what does that mean for trade? And one of the things that progressive foreign policy doesn't, it's not clear to me whether, you know, Emma, you sort of touched on this before, it's not clear to me whether progressive foreign policy involves more free trade or less free trade. Yep. I'm a little worried from my perspective that it includes less free trade, especially because China seems to be like almost a justification for, you know, tariffs and trade wars and stuff. Yeah. I, humanitarian intervention is one of these flashpoints for progressives. Uh, another one is um, free trade or trade in general. Um, Many liberal progressives will say free trade has, um, or the expansion of trade in capital and goods and services has promoted the interests of citizens around the world. It's raised millions and billions out of poverty um, over the last decade, or excuse me, over the last century. 
and uh, that that's an, a critical tool that we have. Um, even liberal, especially liberal progressives, will be deeply skeptical about how some of these agreements are written. Oftentimes, it um, obligates or does more to harm our own interests than um, than than alternatives would. Uh, you know, all progressives will be deeply concerned, and, and that that we are if we're sort of exporting liberal norms and best practices and principles, that it's the right kind of capitalism rather than a capitalism that conduces to inequality, transnational oligarchy, monopolism, um, that really just uh, can devastate and be destructive to societies and the interests of foreign citizens. A solidarist progressive will tend to be much more skeptical of free trade agreements generally. And so this is where you've seen much of the sort of political momentum of the Democratic Party going. Um, I'd point you to a uh, great work by uh, Kim Clausing. Uh, she was my old professor at Reed College. She just wrote a wonderful book called Open, The Progressive Case for Free Trade, in which she says there's, there's nothing uh, progressive about tariffs and controls. A tariff is a regressive consumption tax. Um, I, I tend to agree with that perspective. Um, but for example, the Warren campaign got pilloried for being an opponent of free trade by Dan Dresner and others who I think weren't reading the plans very closely. Um, I think what Warren was trying to say is we should be interested in trade. It's a f it can be a force for good in the world, but only if we ensure that it is. And it takes hard work and dedication and discipline to make sure that it, it remains so. So that kind of thing is pretty hard in the Trump administration. Um, and I Everything's can, hard in the Trump administration. Everything. Um, but I, I kind of sort of, with foreign policy, I see this two ways. So on trade policy, I can see Democrats becoming, um, progressives becoming somewhat more free, more pro-free trade as, as a counterfoil to Trump. Um, but on some other aspects of foreign policy, I worry that that may run in the opposite direction. So if we're going to talk about something like like Russia, for example, I worry that we see a very sort of reflexive hawkishness um, because the president is is not taking a hawkish line that some some Democrats, some progressives are more inclined to take a hard line on issues like Russia. I mean, I guess what I'm asking here is, you know, how do you think, you know, there's progressive foreign policy in the, um, you know, in the abstract and the ideal type. How do you think that will play out in an election against Donald Trump? Yeah. Well, it's a phenomenal question. Um, you have seen many Democrats take an oppositional line to the president, um, which has made them, exactly as you say, more hawkish on things like Russia. Um, I think that speaks to to Democrats, um, to sort of good epistemic practices in foreign policy, that if you find that if circumstances change or you're um, faced with new information, that you revise your foreign policy beliefs, um, I think that's good practice. Uh, that having been said, a progressive in particular shouldn't try to define their policy in negative terms to Trumpism. Trumpism is corrosive. It is um, incompetent. It is deeply destructive. It's barely a foreign policy doctrine. You know, it's just a sort of simple tra transactionalism. It's um, deeply corrupt and personalistic, right? It's about what will make the president look good. Uh, in in his belief, in his mind, in any particular instance, and uh, you know that's led him to turn on the Iraqis overnight, almost right, which is just 
no sort of rational theory of foreign policy would ever recommend a, a position like that. And so um, this this is exactly why it's critical that progressives work from the ground up, start with a, a set of principles, develop a vision for America's role in the world, and then a set of tools that can help us enact those um, visions. Um, I wish I had a, a sort of a slam dunk answer for you on that, but it's you know it's hard work. Well, just to to pivot from that, I think one of the things, one of the reasons for the the low hanging fruit, you know, hawkish, you know, dunk on Trump stuff is because it resonates with Democratic voters, of course, uh, and that raises the I think larger question of you know we're in a time where people on both the left and right are worried about the future of foreign policy, and both both sort of sides of the aisle see change coming. Um, it, you know, Trump may last another four years, but after that, it's somebody else and it's not going to be the same. What's it going to be? And one of the key questions that both sides are asking themselves is, what will the public support in long run? Uh, and not just Democrats, not just Republicans, but what, what could you reasonably expect if we were going to rebuild a at least moderately bipartisan consensus around U.S. foreign policy? You know, what is that going to be able to look like? And from the progressive standpoint, then, what, what are the things where you feel like the public's already on your side? Where do you feel like you have work to do? Well, those, again, great questions. Um, well, let me sort of depart from where we left with Emma. And, and I ought to have mentioned, you don't want to define your policy relative to the Trump administration, but it's absolutely incumbent on us to criticize it clearly, vocally, forcefully. The venality, the immorality, the corruption, the personalism, the belligerence, the overextension, the indiscipline, all of it is just, it's critical to object to forcefully, clearly. Um, it's corrosive to democracy. It's corrosive to our ability to act in the world. It will take decades for us to, um, you know, of working to recover the moral authority and the credibility that we've lost. Um, I'm deeply sympathetic to people like Mira Rapp Hooper and Rebecca Listener who say um, America will just never be the same again. Our place in the world will never be the same. Right. If you're a foreign country, if you're a progressive interested in promoting the health and welfare and the interests of foreign citizens as they themselves understand them, how how can you in good conscience ask them to trust the United States going forward when we're a different country every four years after the next election? We could be diametrically opposed to the principles, the agreements, the um, initiatives that we've launched in the last ones. Right. This also speaks in favor of a, a sort of system of restraint. You, you make a good case for realism. <laughs> you can't trust anybody and, out there. And again, I'm I'm not a realist. I, I just think that it's uh, critical to recognize that that morally um, we may not be a trustworthy nation, even if a particular administration is trustworthy. So, to answer your question, what is the American public support? Um, I think the American public is fed up with Trump on foreign policy. They know they're being lied to. They know that it's um, simultaneously incredibly naive and accommodationist and also belligerent and destabilizing and dangerous. It's really the worst of both worlds. I think Americans are exhausted. Uh, I think they're interested in someone that is more responsible, that's more steady, that's more discriminating. Um, in terms of a number of specific priorities, uh, I think. Uh, progressives have a strong hand to play um, in terms of the kind of 
the populist tinge to international economic policies uh, and economic policy that works for Americans at home. It's a very powerful message. It's also what's required. Um, too often, you know, we've exported the wrong kind of capitalism. We've built a world that's not safe for American democracy um, or, or effective for the pursuit of American interests. Um, oftentimes, it seems like we've done that actively. Um, we should be a force for good in the world, and too often we've been the opposite. Um, I think that resonates with Americans, um, and, and there's a very strong political uh, message there that Democrats should not be afraid to make and progressives should make forcefully. Yeah. I, I think there's there's some real danger, you know, areas for progressives trying to make the case. I, I think, you know, as you say, I think, you know, trying to argue that the United States should be a uh, re-engage on climate, that's a slam dunk, I think. Um, taking a slightly protectionist view on trade is, you know, <laughs> it unfortunately is, I, I think, an, a reasonable proposition, although that's more Trumpist than not. But, but there's think, a difference between protectionism sure. and conditions-based trade. trade. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. But, uh, but Americans in general don't love free trade, right? I mean, they didn't ever love NAFTA until Trump was against it. I mean, they like it theoretically. They don't like free trade deals. But it, so anyway, I, I think, you know, you say, say nice things about Doing trade smart, sure. Climate, sure. Uh, ending endless wars, yes, yeah. that's a big one. Um, but I think you know one of the phrases you've you've um, repeated a few times is uh, helping foreign publics pursue you know their desires in the way they define them. Um, you know that is literally the opposite of America first. Yes, and I, it's absolutely at the heart of a progressive foreign policy. Uh, or just the progressive ideology, but I really think that doesn't resonate particularly well with Americans. If you tell Americans that our foreign policy should be about helping other people, I think that's a flat no. And I'm not saying that people, most Americans are America first the way Trump defines it, but I, I just don't think that's a particularly easy sell. Do you? I, I do, actually. I think you've got it exactly backwards. I think it's part of our identity. It's, it's woven into our DNA that Americans want to be a force for good in the world. Caring about the interests of foreign citizens as they themselves understand them, it's a concept that I call the international interest. We should care not just about our national interest, but the international interest. It should be a central guiding um, principle for American foreign policy, in part because progressives recognize that uh, a parochial and closed-minded pursuit of the national interest has not built the conditions for American success, for um, confronting inequality, for confronting climate change, for confronting the threats that it faces, that, that faces the country. And that making the world safe for a, a thriving, prosper, pr prosperous American democracy means building the kinds of stable societies and the goodwill around the world that allows us to seek what are our interests. Um, I, think it's, I think it's who we are as a people, that we desperately want to serve as a force for good in the world. And it's up to progressives to resume that mantle and describe how we can again, despite all of these enormous challenges we face, right? It, it is harder now to act as a force for good in the world than it ever has been as an American. Um, it, it's not an easy answer because Americans now know to be skeptical. They know that they've been lied to for so many years. They know how much has gone wrong. They know the risks of overextension. And that's why it takes a, a different rhetoric. That's why it takes this um, different a sort of revolution in how we think about 
um, domestic American political structure, but also how we our, our role in the world. Um, that is that is the promise of progressive foreign policy, and that's the challenge that we have to meet. And if we don't, we fail by our own lights, by our own principles. I mean, it's a it's an intriguing idea, and again, one that I think some libertarians would definitely be a hundred percent behind. I mean, the, the sort of the pessimist in me, the devil's advocate, says, "Well, that's going to be a it is going to be a tough sell in the era of resurgent nationalism. It's going to be a tough sell." When we're having conversations about whether it's about defending, you know, are we defending the free world against other parts? You know, taking a, a global view. Um, I don't. I hesitate to use the word globalist here, but taking a, a view of the world that is all countries and all citizens, I feel like is going to just be a really hard sell in this era. Um, but perhaps we should use our remaining time and just pivot and ask you sort of where you think progressive foreign policy is headed in 2020 and beyond. I mean, obviously, there's a still quite a large democratic field. Some are progressives, some aren't. Um, democratic party politics play into this. So where do you see us going? Well, in part, it depends on where the uh, elections go, where the votes go. Um, if progressive candidates, and of course, not all Democrats are progressives, uh, if progressive candidates succeed, uh, then you'll hear widespread debate. Um, both between progressives, disagreements about the relative priority of different political goods and obligations, um, but also especially between centrists and progressives. Yeah, if I could just interrupt for a second um, for perhaps our listeners or myself, it's not quite as tied into Democratic Party politics. Who in the race right now would you define as a progressive? You see the label applied to all sorts of people. Um, I think that's misleading, and it's partly why progressives need to be clearer about their foreign policy beliefs. Uh, I think Warren and Sanders are clearly progressives, even though they have different emphases. They speak differently about certain uh, issues. Um, they agree on quite a lot, and including a, a sort of basic vision for America's role in the world. Um, you often see the label progressivism applied to Buttigieg. Um, you know, occasionally uh, certain Biden priorities, you know, B Biden was reportedly, at least um, he, he said, interested in no first use during the Obama administration. He wasn't able to get that passed. Um, th that had formerly been a, a progressive priority. Um, progressivism has infected American centrism, you know, in, in part because of um, Senator Sanders's um, galvanizing run. Uh, last time around, um, but I wouldn't call Biden or, or Buttigieg a progressive. They they clearly have very um, uh, moderate positions that are um, more in line with what the Obama administration pursued. Um, there are progressives that stop at the water's edge, so there are progressives that are indistinguishable from centrists or Republicans on foreign policy. Um, you know, they may believe in progressive priorities at home for domestic issues, but when they work on foreign policy, they believe something very different. Um, it's important that there's a democratic foreign policy that's distinct from a Republican foreign policy, but also progressives need to be clear that there's such a thing as a distinctive progressive foreign policy. And then I'd say that there's nothing, there are fringe candidates like Gabbard who are sometimes called progressives because they are anti-war. Um, pacifism may be, or, or at least it used to be, um, a progressive interest and, and priority, um, but there's so much about Gabbard that is 
manifestly regressive or anti-progressive um, that, you know, excusing human rights violations, her own sort of uh, history with domestic uh, politics um, with respect to gays and lesbians um, that, that make her absolutely antithetical to se several progressive interests. And, and then isolationism, in, in my definition, is not progressive. So sort of getting all that clear, who is, who's not, um, you know, you don't want to get um, overly semantic about it, but at the same time, you do want to ensure that you've built a coalition and a set of advisors, a set of priorities and policies that are um, that will be effective at achieving your objectives. Do you think if I mean if if you read the five thirty eight you know forecast model yeah. at the moment, yeah. um, you know Biden is not. You know, he's the front runner, not a heavy favorite or anything, but a, but a front runner, you'd have to say. They rate him as having about twice as high a chance as Sanders of winning the nomination. Do you think if that's the case and, you know, say Bernie comes in a strong second again, um, does that have the effect of pushing Biden leftward on foreign policy, do you think? Or does Biden end up running as sort of Obama 2.0? Or, you know, if he wins, governing as Obama 2.0? Uh, yeah, I, I think Biden would be glad to run as... Obama 2.0. I, I think it's important to recognize that Obama had several progressive commitments, um, especially relative to Clinton um, during his primary process. Um, and so the party has already moved and will continue to. So, so I started, I should have finished the sentence. I started by saying, um, if Sanders or Warren moves towards the nomination, you get much more explicit debate about a progressive foreign policy. If Biden or Buttigieg moves, moves towards the nomination, um, then you'll get progressives trying to push them in their direction. And that can be a very healthy interplay. Um, it, it was during the uh, Sanders-Clinton primary, uh, and I think it would be again, especially because I, I think Biden personally is sympathetic to, um, at least on foreign policy, to some of these priorities. Um, I, I don't know whether he sort of would endorse the same kind of people, arguments, whether he sort of has the conviction for what Elizabeth Warren calls big structural change. Um, but at the very least, you know, he, I bet he would be sympathetic to some of these um, pressures. So I, I'm sure you see them manifest. Well, that is a good place to put a pin in it. Adam, thank you. I learned a lot today. Appreciate thank you, you coming on the show. Uh, thanks to our producer, Cecil Sherman, and to all of you for listening. To continue the conversation, our Twitter handle is at Power Problems. And if you like the show, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts.